0: to That Whole Thing podcast, exploring what it means to live in wholeness. I'm your host, Ben DeLong. Thanks for joining me today. How have you been? What have you been up to?
1: online courses and uh these i'm, I'm creating a series of these th- ground zero um sort of weekend webinar things mm-hmm. um so the first the next one is coming out i did one in january called renew ground zero renew that was for pastors and uh pastors who were deconstructing how'd that go that was great actually um Good. it was like 26 people it wasn't huge but there are a whole lot of pastors who are deconstructing and there just isn't anything really specifically for them.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah the content was great. And we had a little, hit some zoom calls and have a private group now. Um, and we're going to keep doing more of that. I'm going to do another round of that
2: yeah.
1: this year. And then I'm doing one called Academy um, next month in March.
2: Hmm.
1: That one's amazing, dude. God, the content <laughs> is. So great. And um, I'm working on the second round of that one too, right now as well. And then, you know, Square one, square two courses start Monday. Yeah, and then I'm also doing these monthly classic courses on my books. So okay. every month I do a different course based on one of my books. So mm. yeah, so between all that, I'm yeah, staying busy and also trying to get ready to write my next book. So
0: is that the um, the Jesus Unforsaken? Or?
1: Well, Unforsaken is finished. I okay. actually will actually come out next month. Uh, oh, okay, March, March 23rd. The next one I'm going to write is Jesus Unarmed.
0: Oh, Okay. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, so
1: and that'll be the final one in the Jesus Un series. That will be the end. You know that that topic of nonviolence is such a common thing, and I've written, yeah. I've been writing about it and talking about that topic for over a decade now.
2: Yeah, so I
1: have plenty of material to put into the book. Uh, it's just a matter of compiling it, you know, uh, arranging it, and all that. Mm. So uh, that'll be hopefully that'll be done by the summer.
0: Okay. Cool all right well you ready to get started
1: yeah i kind of thought we were (laughs) 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 but that's okay that's fine well we i I was
0: i was recording anyway so we can put it in there
1: So you know what i'm glad you were because sometimes like when when it's not recording like some really cool stuff it happens and we are like ah we should have been recording that so
0: that's yeah um all right well uh thanks everybody again for listening to that whole thing podcast and um um, as you just heard, I'll, I'll probably keep it in. I wasn't intending to, but that'll work. Uh, but, uh, me and Keith have been talking here, and um, my friend Keith Giles, um, been really blessed to, to get to know him, and just somebody really awesome to look up to um, as a person and as a writer. Um, he's a prolific writer, written many books um, as he's talking about his Jesus Un series. And um, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today about your book, um, Jesus Unexpected. And I yeah. think it it'll um, be something really um, just um, as i've I've told you before, you are very very skilled and 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 you know like you know this is your gift is your you're skilled at taking complicated things and making them simple yeah. um, and I you know I, I read your book Jesus Unexpected and it's like I've you know I grew up in the church I know what all this stuff is. Um, I took classes on it and yet still I'm like oh I didn't even understand this before you
1: know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah the um, the topic well thank you for that by the way yeah that is um, that is something that I realized early on Um, it's just something I love to do and 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 you know I think the way we're wired the way we're made you know it's sort of like it is it is sort of a talent that I have but it's uh less a talent i think and more of just something i love to do and and, uh, so i love to be able to take complex things and simplify them like i remember when i was in college i was a philosophy minor and um had to read all these philosophy books you know hegel and and kant and kierkegaard and um you know all these guys and um and i remember you know i would read a paragraph in one of these books one of these philosophy books I'd read a paragraph and then just have to read it again and then read it again and then read it slower.
2: Yeah. And
1: then eventually it would be like, Oh, 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 I get it. He's saying something really simple. He just, yeah. all he means is dot, 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 dot. And then, then it would kind of make me mad. Yeah. And I would think, <laughs> why didn't he just say that? Obviously he's a smart guy. Yeah. He could have just said that, but he, he, he felt like he had to say it and he's really, it's almost like they're all trying to impress one another or something. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, life, I, ever since then in college, I just figured out like, I love being able, because now I feel like, oh, now, now that I get it, I can go to somebody who doesn't want or never will read one of those books and just yeah. say, you know what, here's like a really cool thing. And we can talk about it mm-hmm. because, you know, it's simplified. Yeah. So that's one thing I love about being able to take down theology, some of these things and um, hopefully educate people and make and simplify some things that I think are really complicated. So, um, yeah, that and in this topic of the end times, especially uh, is one that it's impacted me personally. And I have a lot of friends that I know, um, you know, that that sort of fear of being left behind and Mm -hmm. um, all of that, and all those movies and books and everything. You know, it's yeah. um, And it is kind of a scam. Once you really dig into it, you realize this makes a lot of money. I mean, people who write these books and do these conferences and put out these you know dvd series um the end times prophecy stuff man it is just it is an industry now unfortunately i haven't capitalized on that yet but
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but uh because i'm not I'm, i don't have the right story or i'm, I'm not playing along i'm i'm, yeah. I'm kind of putting yeah. the the skids on it throwing a wrench in it and going well actually <laughs> it's not i don't think it's really what you should be thinking but
0: and it's crazy how how ubiquitous it is that you know those who grew up with this have all had this experience of coming home, you know nobody's home, and we're just like, "Oh shit, the rapture <laughs> happened <laughs>
1: yes oh yeah i I had those fears um i mean I tell it in the book I tell a story I tell it as a story about this kid um who wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, it's quiet and he immediately has that thought. He's alone in the house. You know the rapture's happened, yeah. And he's left behind. And he gets out of bed and has to creep over to his parents' bedroom door and listen to see if they're in there. And I go, oh, okay, you know, okay, they're 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 still here. So I, you know, at least I'm not alone. Even if I even if there was the rapture, I'm yeah. not alone. Not alone. And then he went back to bed. Well, that was me. Mm. I mean, I, I that is exactly I went through that. Um, probably junior high. Starting it started in junior high where right? I that would happen to me quite a bit. And it was only because I mean, where did I get that idea? I only got that idea. We watched um now I, I'm old. So before there was a, uh the left behind series, there was this Thief in the Night series,
2: yeah.
1: which by the way, if you're if you want to entertain yourself, go on
2: YouTube. <laughs> you can
1: actually, I think they're on YouTube, Thief in the Night, uh Distant Thunder, there's like six or seven of them. Um, they're so bad. The production value—it's in the (laughs) seventies, it was made in the seventies and it's so bad. It's, I I actually watched it with my kids and we just laughed all the way through it because it was just so cheesy. But anyway, I did, I I didn't laugh when I watched it. I I thought this is going to happen to me. Yeah,
0: Yeah. I'm
1: going to live through this. Right. And that's always the message any day now it's, it's just, it's going to happen in our lifetime for sure.
0: Yeah. So, um, Maybe if we could, we could frame the discussion a little bit, just because, um, you know, like I said, I, I grew up in this environment, but, but, you know, I don't, you know, growing up in it, I, I still couldn't have, it, our, our, I still couldn't have articulated to you, to you what the actual philosophy was. Yes. Um, so what, what is the whole, um. Dispensational end time stuff. Um, you talk a lot in, in the book about um Darby and, and his influence yeah. on it. What 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 is the whole system?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So yeah, in the book, I I I break it out. I kind of that's how I start off the book is just kind of providing a background and history lesson um and some important information about the fact that the stuff you and I grew up with, um, as was what a friend of mine said uh talking about this, she said. I just always assumed this was handed down to us by the apostles, right? Right.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. So yeah, this guy, John Nelson Darby in about 1830, um, came up with this idea of what we now know today is end times rapture theology. Yeah. I this. Uh, and it's, it's, it's dispensational, uh, end times rapture theology. Most people don't know it by that name, by the way. So I've actually had conversations yeah. with people where I start to explain. There was this guy, Darby, in 1830, and he came up with this really crazy thing called dispensationalism, and no one ever believed this. And then then I know it slowly crept into the church, and then they were with me all the way. They're like, wow, that sounds amazing. And then about, you know, like 10 minutes into the conversation, they realize, oh, wait a minute, I believe everything you just said.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: you didn't know it was called that. You didn't know yeah. that's where it came from, but uh-huh, that you just thought that was Christianity. So yeah. anyway, so basically, it's this idea that uh, what Darby does is he sort of goes through um, prophetic passages in the Old Testament, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, um, Jeremiah, and then also in the New Testament, the Olivet Discourse from Jesus, that Jesus speaks in Matthew 24. It's also echoed in Mark and in Luke. Yeah, Um, And then, of course, the book of Revelation. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians, there's a couple of things in there uh, that Paul alludes to. Anyway, he sort of connects the dots of all these various Prophetic passages in the Bible, and he mm-hmm. he connects the dots with them in ways they are not connected. They're not all those passages are not about the same sort of events, and yeah. they're not describing a sequence of events. And this is really, I think, where we're, if we really get into it, I mean, let me back it up a little bit. Several, especially in the New Testament, um, actually, those prophetic passages like the Elevate Discourse and Revelation and First Thessalonians, they kind of are about the same event.
2: Yeah, but yeah. it's
1: not something that hasn't happened in the future that we're all waiting to happen. Right. Um, uh, so anyway, he also, though, then he creates this sequence of events. So everything from, and if we just so simplified it and summarized it, right? That what is the basic end times rapture theology? It's the idea that we are, we are just so close to the second coming of Jesus. But a few things have to happen first. Mm. First, we have to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Why? Well, because there's these passages that predict that the Antichrist, when he shows up, one of the things he has to do is he has to stop the daily sacrifice in the temple Mm -hmm. and set up the abomination of desolation. Well, there is no temple in Jerusalem. So now, by the way, there's no prophecy saying that it would be rebuilt after it was destroyed in 8070. But that's neither here nor there. We obviously (laughs) need there has to be a temple rebuilt. So number one, we are waiting Jesus will come back when these conditions are met. Um, the temple in Jerusalem gets rebuilt. Then the Antichrist shows up. At the beginning, he has to look like a good guy. Everybody believes him and trusts him. They all think, even yeah. Christians think he's great. Uh, he makes some sort of peace treaty with Israel um, for like seven years. But halfway through, he breaks the treaty and then stops the daily sacrifice in the temple, which we have to rebuild so he can do that. Um, establishes himself as God, commands everyone to worship him. You know, they have to take this mark of the beast, this number six 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 on their hand or their forehead,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and if they don't do that, they can't buy or sell. So, oh my, it's going to be all this persecution. If you resist, you're going to be thrown in a concentration camp or hunted down by, you know, armed guards and with machine guns and helicopters and motorcycles um, yeah. and all that. So, um, and it's you know, it's this crazy, fantastic, wild. I mean, it, it would make an and it has made um, you know a great idea for a movie. Yeah. But, but here's the thing, again, that I want people to understand is no Christian before 1830 believed that idea. Like, yeah. that's not, when they read those passages in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament, they didn't connect those dots and they didn't construct this idea that all this had to happen first yeah. before Jesus would return to earth. And so that's where in times rapture theology comes from. That's kind of the essential idea of it. Um, and the idea then is that we're waiting these things
0: to happen but it's any minute now any day now it's going to happen right Hmm. yeah and um you you mentioned some really key parts of that 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 come up a lot um you know whenever there's like something serious going on whenever there's like a some some prominent feature from prominent figure that people don't like you always hear about the antichrist or the end of days like it's we actually watched um yeah, talk about another movie that you can laugh at um have you ever heard of the movie the mist
1: the mist no
0: it's a stephen king book and they made it into a movie yeah okay horrible yay, movie okay. just so bad <laughs> but we were watching it and as all these like terrible things were happening, there's this character that's like it's the end of times and god is judging you and everything because that because there's always somebody like bringing that up yes yeah, and yeah. so yeah maybe we can just kind of go through those key features because like for a lot of people if you like if you say you know the antichrist is something else they're like well you know that shocks them like well yeah. we've heard about the antichrist all our life we know what it is you know and yeah. and but but it's something else So maybe we can kind of go through those those and start with the antichrist
1: yeah that's a great one and i think it's a great place to start so um if you're a christian listening to us talk right now and you you kind of do you were kind of raised on that story, that that framework, um, and and you you and I are about to challenge that. You're probably thinking, "What are you talking about?" Right? This is,
2: yeah, I don't know
1: what you're talking about. This is all in the Bible. Um, well, here here's just something I would say to you that usually will shock people when I say this: um, the Antichrist does not appear in the Book of Revelation. It's hmm. not there. You can just go do a book study. Get a, you know, get a concordance or something. Look up the word Antichrist. It appears in the in the Book of First John. Mm, yeah yep not in not in revelation and first John is not some kind of end times prophecy you know sort of you don't you don't turn to first John to do a biblical end times prophecy study yeah but that's the only place Antichrist appears and actually when it appears what what John says about Antichrist is actually it's plural he says mm. even now many Antichrist are here yeah so and this was two thousand years ago right so when John wrote this um wrote this, uh, this letter, first John, what he was telling the church was, Hey, everybody, there's a bunch of antichrists. You look out for them. Yeah. They're all over the place. There was not a single person, a guy, a, you know, a, a figure in, in yeah. the future called the antichrist that we need to look forward to. And he plays some key pivotal role in these, in, in this sort of, you know, rebuilding the temple and establishing himself as God and being worshiped. Like none of that is there. Yeah. And, and so just real briefly too, let me, I think I need to say this too, just to explain, uh, what Darby did that's different. Mm-hmm. The only way this kind of end times theology will work is if I first tell you that story, I have to tell you that story I just told you a minute ago first.
2: Yeah. yeah. They,
1: you know, and the Antichrist shows up and he builds, the, rebuilds the temple and stops the day sacrifice. So I tell you that whole story first. And then mm-hmm. once you understand and you, you, you get that story, now I can say, okay, turn over here in Daniel. See this part right here—that is proving that this part of my story. Now yeah. turn over here in Matthew twenty-four. See this part of what Jesus says. This—that's this other part of the story. Now go mm-hmm. over here in Revelation. See that—that's this other part of the story. See this is this is how Darby is connecting all these dots. But if you literally, this is why. For think of it this way: for one thousand eight hundred and thirty years, no one who studied the Bible, no biblical scholars, read the Bible, and came up with this with this story yeah until darby did so you have to first tell the story and then you have to go find scriptures to back it up yeah but those scriptures don't they're not supporting that story they're not telling that story they're they're telling something different and um and that's kind of the danger right
0: yeah it's funny that the way you put that is because um like you have to have that story first is just because (laughs) a lot of ways that's that's how the evangelical gospel in general works is that like you I think, I think it was Derek Flood who talked about the pre-gospel, how you, yeah. you you have to make somebody feel guilty before you before you can present your, quote, good news. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, McCarthy and those other guys, right, um, don't they say you have to first give the bad news?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Then once you first, you preach the bad news, and then you can preach the good news. But it's like, yeah. really? Because Jesus didn't do that. Paul doesn't yeah. do that. There's, in the book of Acts, there's like nine evangelistic sermons preached in the book of Acts. Not yeah. one of them starts with the bad news (laughs) yeah it's just the good news and somehow that works i don't know i don't get it
0: and if if you have to like if you have to find a bad news somewhere then you're not paying attention because it's all over the place (laughs)
1: yes oh exactly no you're right though you have to you're right you kind of have to do start off with this um this idea okay you're a filthy sinner um god is super holy and perfect and cannot be anywhere near anything sinful yeah um and so uh, but someone's got to be punished so that God can yeah. love you and forgive you. And so that's why Jesus came to take the bullet, you know, take the beating in your place. And now God can love you and forgive you. Yeah. And first we tell you that story and then we go find a bunch of verses that we think support that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you can't um, you talk about the Antichrist there and, and just talked about how, you know, it's talking, you know, like like John said, we have Antichrist right now. Like there's stuff happening right now. So then I, I know some people would say, well, then what, what about the stuff that Jesus talks about, you know, about his kind of like end times language or, you mm-hmm. know, you know, disaster coming? Like, what, what is that talking about then?
1: <laughs> right. And that's the Olivet Discourse. And that's actually in the book. I, I spend a lot of time. Uh, I, in fact, in some ways, as I was doing it in the book, I even thought I even thought to myself when I was writing the book, is this too much? <laughs> I feel like I might, am I doing too much on this? Yeah. But I was like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna plow through it. I have to plow through it. So, um, yeah. So, the, it's called the Olivet Discourse. Uh, yeah. As I said, it's in Matthew 24, but it's also echoed in Mark and in Luke. And what's actually really helpful is to, uh, if you have a way to do this, I, I have, I have a document that's set up this way. That's, it's Matthew 24, and then it's Mark, and then it's Luke, and they're all sort of, so they're side by side. Yeah. And when you track them side by side through through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can see, I mean, it's the same story. Yeah. I mean, you get a couple of different details, you know, here and there in Luke and Matthew. Mark is the shortest version of it, but essentially they're all telling the same story. So here's here, so here's the thing I would say about that sort of what it like you said, what does Jesus say about the end of the world or the second yeah. coming? Um, the thing to to keep in mind is that how it all starts. Why does Jesus even tell the story? Why does he even have this prophecy? Well, it starts off, all three, all three of these Olivet Discourses start off with Jesus in the temple. He's actually leaving the temple. You know, uh, Peter, James, and John, or a couple of the disciples are with him. And they're the ones They kind of pause and they kind of look at this temple and they're like, Jesus, look at this. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. It, it's so magnificent. Isn't this the most awesome, beautiful temple you've ever seen? I mean, it's just glorious. And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, a day is coming soon when not one of these stones will be left upon the other, but they will all be thrown to the ground. Now yeah. they are shocked. What? Jesus, please tell us what is the sign of these things and when will these things come to be?
2: Yeah.
1: Well, then they keep on walking out of the temple. They go up to the Mount of Olives. They sit down and then Jesus answers this question. What is the question he's answering? The question he's answering is, when will that temple be destroyed? And what are the signs that it will be destroyed? Now, in I think it's in Matthew. There's the additional question. It's only in one of the three, but I think it's Matthew is the one. But, you know, don't hold me to that. It's one of the three <laughs> where there's the additional question of and what will be the sign of your coming? Hmm. Okay. But, but let's put a pin in that for a second. The whole the sign of his coming. Yeah, because I think that's one of, the, one of the phrases that throws us off. Um, But if we keep in mind that everything Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse and Mark and Luke is answering the question, the destruction of the temple. So he says, this will happen and this will happen. You'll be you'll be taken before, you know, you'll be persecuted. This all. Don't worry, that's not the end. There'll be earthquakes and famines. That's still not the end. Right. When he says the end, what does he mean? It's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It's the end of the age and the end of the Jewish age, which would be culminated in the destruction of that temple. By the way, ending the daily sacrifice, which is something that Darby and end time dispensationalists want to say that the Antichrist is going to do. Mm. That's from Daniel chapter nine. In Daniel chapter nine, that's a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And it says that the Messiah will end the daily sacrifice, which he Mm. did. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but um, it's the destruction of the temple. It's the end of the age. And so he starts to give signs of when this will happen. Now, here's what I think we get into trouble. Because in the process of answering that question, Jesus does use these phrases like, "and the sun will not give its light, and the moon will be darkened and turn to blood, and there'll be hailstones, you know, from a hundred pound weight, and all the," he tells us, "crazy stars are far from the sky, yeah. you know, and all these kind of things." And it sounds like it sounds like the end of the world, right? And I've even had people say, "Well, Keith, the stars are still in the sky, the yeah. sun is still shining. Uh, these obviously, these things can't have happened yet." Okay, here's what you're missing. This is a very key key thing that most christians misunderstand there's something called apocalyptic hyperbole mm-hmm. and when jesus uses that language he is quoting old testament prophets isaiah jeremiah ezekiel daniel amos um he is using the exact same phrases that they used when they spoke judgment against babylon mm-hmm. or egypt or edom or even jerusalem yeah And I, in my book i give you verbatim quotes. And you when you see these prophecies that Jeremiah or Amos or Isaiah gave against Babylon or Egypt or Edom, they use the same language. They say, God will come to you riding on a cloud and will come against you. And it will be the worst day that's ever been. And the mm. sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. It's the same language. Now, those things happened. Yeah, Babylon, Edom, Egypt, even Jerusalem suffered you know, some, some destruction as a result of the, those prophecies and them not repenting of those things. Uh, so those, those prophecies were fulfilled, Yeah. but without eternal smoke rising forever, without stars falling to the ground, which would be impossible. Again, it's apocalyptic yeah. hyperbole. It's overstating something. In other words, it's in a way it's sort of like the prophet saying to the people listening to him, it's the end of your world. It's yeah. the end of the universe as far as you're concerned, it's mm. game over. And so it's this overstatement of these things. So when Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem, in 80, which happened in AD 70, yeah. uh, it happens even in the time frame, Jesus said. Jesus said, it, some of you, and this he also says this, by the way, in all the Elevate discourse, as he goes through all these fantastic things he's, he's talking about, he says, and some of you standing here will not taste death until... Everything I have said comes to pass. Everything, mm. not some of it, all yeah. of it, all of it. So everything he's talking about is all about the destruction of the of the temple in, in Jerusalem in A.D. seventy, which did happen forty within forty years of him saying it. Yeah. And um, and so those prophecies are fulfilled. Matthew twenty four is completely fulfilled. It's done. Yeah, it, we're not looking in the future for something to fulfill anything in the Olivet Discourse. And so again, I I go step by step, verse by verse through that whole process, comparing Matthew, Mark, and Luke to show how these things have already been fulfilled.
0: Yeah. Well, and the day day of Pentecost is a really good example of that because as people are trying to figure out, well, what's happening here? Peter quotes that passage, you know, and, and it's a lot of the similar kind of language, like things that like these end of days kind of things.
1: That's right. You're right. See, that's a great point. I don't even know if I pointed that out in my book, actually. But that's a great point, because yeah, in, in, in Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls and the people are saying, what's going on? What's happening?
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and Peter preaches this, preaches to them. He quotes the prophet Joel about in the last days. Yeah. The last days. I will pour out my spirit, God says, on all flesh. Well, that mm-hmm. just they're standing there and that just happened.
2: Yeah. But, yeah. but
1: like you said, Peter keeps on quoting. Yeah. He could have just stopped there and said, okay, well, that, this is the part that's being fulfilled. It's just the pouring out of the spirit. But no, he keeps going and he keeps he keeps reading some apocalyptic hyperbole yeah. about this destruction, this day of the Lord, this great destruction and fire and brimstone and all these, you know, these things, uh, the finality of the end of the age that's coming. Yeah. And then this is their question. What must we do to be saved? Not to go to heaven when they die, yeah. but to escape that. That destruction that's coming in eighty seventy hmm. so all of that you're right is wrapped up in the fulfillment of everything jesus says in matthew twenty four and Peter obviously got that he he understood yeah. that because he, he he plays right along with that same idea in acts chapter two
0: hmm. yeah, yeah, so you know i you know i can hear i can hear the questions in my mind of what people would ask because i I would have asked the same thing sure. well like sure surely the book of revelation then is at least this futuristic timetable uh-huh. you know and and what um but you know i've i've learned otherwise and and um you know you have a way of explaining it so well so what what is the book of revelation then if it, if it's not this end time you know right guidepost for us
1: right well yeah, Revelation. First of all, and I do think I say this in the book, um, Revelation is is probably the most difficult to understand book in the entire Bible, hands yeah. down. Right? If anybody tells you they understand everything about, they're lying. They don't. They're they're just guessing. Yeah. But what we do know, let's just say in general, what we can say about the book of Revelation, um, the book of Revelation is is a allegorical story of how. Christ subverts empire. Hmm. Now, in in a very specific case, it's how Christ specifically, um, the Roman Empire and, uh, and, it, and it, how it brought about the end of the Jewish age. It's, it's still about 8070. Mm-hmm. Um, it does does it, it bring in other kinds of themes and ideas that kind of also play into this idea, um, of sort of a, a judgment and, um, sort of like the whole lake of fire and all that kind of stuff pulls in, yeah. but, um, but again, what we have to understand is, number one, um, I mean, here, here's just a good analogy. In Daniel, let's go back to Daniel quickly. In Daniel, Daniel was given a vision of something that was going to happen like 400 and something odd years in his in the future for him, which was yeah, the coming okay. of, of the Messiah. And he's, he's able to give some of those things. But then the angel actually says to Daniel, seal up the words of this book and do not write them down because... These are for things far, far in the future, far away. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: When, when Jesus appears to John in Revelation and gives him a prophecy, of which is the entire book of Revelation, he's told, write this down. This is going to come quickly. These are things that mm. will soon come to pass. In fact, all through Revelation, all the languages, any minute now, any day now, any second now, not 2,000 more, you know, 2,000 years in the future and counting yeah. um, way out in the future. Uh, it's sort of like two thousand years, dude, right? <laughs> so uh, the you know John is told to write down quickly, write it down, record this because why? People need to know this. This is current events. This is going to happen quick. Yeah. Um. So it is about something in the future for John and his li- and his readers uh, of that yeah. of the Epistle of Revelation, but not in our future. So again, um, all of these things came to pass. Now there is a tiny little part that I think is you could say kind of about the the future for john and for and even maybe in a way for us and, and that's the last couple of chapters of revelation because i think mm-hmm. what it's showing us is a picture of the church it's showing us mm-hmm. a picture of, of us today that's the whole the whole idea of the bride of christ coming down out of heaven the new jerusalem again that's not a future city a literal city coming out of the, out of heaven it's the bride of christ that's us mm-hmm. that's that's the church yeah that's us now on the earth today yeah. Uh, and it's a picture for who we need to be with Christ as our King and the gates are never shut and all that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: so yeah, I think there is an element of that, but I think overall Revelation um, is, we should read it as an allegory of something that happened in AD 70. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very um, figurative, metaphorical, allegorical story of, of essentially how Christ subverts empire. By the way, the way he does it Is this so? It is 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 power under. Is this very subversive kind of kingdom ethic of it's not um, even you know again a lot of people love this idea of oh there's the wrath of the lamb and Jesus is wearing a robe dipped in blood with a sword out of his mouth and he's coming to destroy his enemies. Yeah, but you know what? All that language, if you really read it closely, what John is doing is he's he's it's a farce. He's it's he's subverting all that that expectation that Jesus going to kick some ass. And actually what you see is it's, it's, his, it's Jesus' own blood. It's his yeah. blood on yeah. his robe. Mm-hmm.
2: The,
1: sword, the sword out of his mouth is the, is the gospel message, which is you're forgiven, you're, 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 you're redeemed, you're restored, mm. right? The world is, you know, God has reconciled the world to himself through Christ. This is how he destroys his enemies. He loves them and forgives them and invites them into his family. Yeah. Even the idea of the wrath of the lamb. Um, and I, I know I talk about this in the book. That word for the for lamb in Revelation is literally the word in the Greek is lambkin. It's a suckling lamb. So mm. it, think of it like this. Is if you were talking about the wrath of the kitten or the wrath <laughs> of the baby puppy, yeah. right? you can't help but smile and laugh and go, the wrath of the puppy. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're supposed to have that reaction. You're supposed to read about the wrath of the little baby, cute little lamb, the baby, cute little lamb to go oh there is no wrath that's there's no wrath here it's it's right it's this reconciliation and again that's the picture you get at the end of revelation of the gates are never shut christ is in the center saying is anybody thirsty come and drink freely from the water of life that's flowing from the center of you know it's this absolute wide open invitation that's how it ends
2: yeah yeah so
1: yeah, it's interesting just to, you know, it's, we've always been given these different ways of looking at it and it, hopefully it's helpful to look at it from a, another perspective.
0: Yeah. We, yeah, we just can't talk about the wrath of the bunny because Monty Python's ruined that.
1: <laughs> yeah. or, or fixed it, I think, you know, maybe, maybe in some ways. I know those guys are all sort of raging atheists. But, um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, honestly, when I watch the Holy Grail now, Monty Python the Holy Grail now, there are parts that I used to cringe
2: uh-huh. You know, like yeah. the, like
1: when God appears to them at the beginning, and yeah. they're all, uh, you know, what are, what are you doing? We're averting our gaze. We'll yeah. Stop it! Every time I talk to someone, <laughs> forgive me this, and I'm sorry for that. And, you know, I, and I used to think that was kind of blasphemous, but now I watch it, and I think no, that's that's pretty right on. I think that is, yeah, that is what God would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stop yeah.
0: it. So if 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 revelation is not this end time thing, what is um you know because there's maybe maybe almost more ubiquitous than the antichrist thing is the mark of the beast. Oh, yeah. so what What is the mark of the beast pointing to?
1: <laughs> right, um, yeah, and I, I think there's a whole, is there an appendix on that at the end? On um, Oh no, that was when Revelation was written. Um, no, no, that's actually a chapter in the book is the, the mark of the beast. So I go through this idea of this mark of the beast idea. And um, again, it's not your credit card, it's not a barcode, it's not a microchip, it's not the COVID-19 virus. Uh, you know, a vaccine. Um, <clears throat> so essentially what 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 John is doing, like, again, let's just frame, frame what's going on in Revelation. John is a political prisoner.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Rome has him, uh, you know, exiled to this island of Patmos because they see him as a threat that he's some sort of, uh, he's leading a potential rebellion uh, of Christians who are going to rise up and, and uh, re- overthrow or rebel against the Roman Empire. Yeah, and, he, and and at the time they probably weren't too far off—not violently, but yeah, uh, sort of. Um, and they're philosophically, if those ideas would spread, it would undermine the strength uh, of the of the empire. Yeah. So anyway, he's he's in prison in, on Patmos. Now, here's what you do when you're a oppressive empire, and you have a political prisoner, and he's writing letters to his followers. You you censor them. Yeah. You, you read those letters, but you don't just blindly let him mail letters to his followers. Like yeah. Charles Manson doesn't doesn't get to just talk to all of his followers, like yeah. and say anything he wants. Why? Because he's a threat. He's dangerous. He's a he's a thought leader that could could sway the masses. Yeah. So this is the way the Romans are treating John. And so when he's writing Revelation, this is partly why he's writing with his incredible coded, you know, pictures of you know these dragons with multiple heads and horns and eyes and bottomless pits and these creatures and everything is symbolic right it's meant there's there's a meaning beneath the meaning that his readers yeah. i am I'm, I'm pretty confident his readers were pretty sure they knew what he was talking about now that we don't we're, we're removed from the yeah. culture and the language and uh, and the relationship that he had with them but at any rate um, this is also why at the end of revelation you know john gives this warning anyone who adds to or takes away from this what I've written here may god add all the plagues written in it against you i'm talking to you roman censor who's reading my mm-hmm. letter right now before you send it out to my followers that's what that's all about mm. so uh, cuz he knows he's not stupid right so yeah. because of this john can't come out and say this guy nero is satan satan's you know tool to attack the body of christ he can't say yeah. that cuz why that that's why he's in prison yeah. Is because yeah. of those kinds of ideas, so he has to give this kind of wink, wink. You know, yeah. the, the 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 beast, quote unquote. I'm talking about the name, the number of his name. Parentheses let the reader understand is yeah. six hundred sixty and six. Why? Because in in the Greek, um, Nero's name, the the letters letters and numbers are the same symbols. So if you took his name and transposed the letters to numbers and added them up, it would equal 660 and six.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: also know this by the way, uh, because in some of the Latin versions of, um, uh, of revelation, the number is 616 because it adds up differently.
2: Oh, okay.
1: so, uh, there's also clues about the, the beast being Nero in that he tells us how long the beast will reign. I think it's like 42 months. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how many months Nero uh had a sort of reign of terror against the church okay um he also tells us what order of ruler he is in mm. like there's this you know this this ruler and then this one and this one and this one and then the beast that i'm talking about is this one right here and then after him there's going to be these other two so um there's all kinds of reasons uh it's it's really not much of a mystery when you put it all together it's pretty obvious that the beast is nero mm-hmm. and um so uh, Nero's dead. Nero's not going to come back to life and make you take a number on your head that corresponds to his name. Yeah. So the mark of the beast, again, was something that corresponds, corresponded to what happened during the reign of Nero, uh, during, during the, the persecution of the Christian church and before AD 70. Um, that's what the mark of the beast is. Again, if, if, you, if you're reading Revelation is something that's telling me about something that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Just what Darby encourages us to do. Then you could come away with this idea. But if you read the scriptures the way the early church did, and everybody up until Darby read read those same scriptures, you see this as, oh, he's trying to warn them about Nero and what Nero's going to do and what's going to happen, and again, things that are going to happen very soon for them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you know a, a lot of Christians that have grown up with this this left behind kind of philosophy it scares them to think otherwise because they, they've lived in a certain story and it's given them meaning um, about how to live their life, you know, and, yep. and um, unfortunately, you know, that ends up being um, just basically a hold on until the world <laughs> gets destroyed kind of thing. And, right. um, but then like, so if, if that's not what, you know, cause that, that takes away from what scripture is trying to say so what what was the book of revelation trying to say to the early readers you know what what was that you know like we can say the mark of the beast was nero and and you know kind of look at these images but what message is john trying to convey
1: yeah i think what he's trying to say to them is um don't lose heart um everything that's going to happen that is happening right now and that is going to happen how it's going to play out um as long as you continue to have faith in Christ, you're going to be okay. Now, mm. there's no promise that you're not going to be murdered. I mean, there's even that very famous part in Revelation where this, the souls of the saints in heaven who have already been put to death are crying out from the altar saying, how many more? How much mm. longer, oh God, yeah. will we continue to be slaughtered? Um, and he says, you know, basically, it'll take as long as it takes. Yeah. So uh, it's not it's not saying you're going to escape this, but it's saying it's not for nothing. Um, And that there is an ultimate thing that's going to happen, which is that in the end, uh, this empire that currently has power over you, that's persecuting you will collapse and fall apart and Mm -hmm. Christ's kingdom will will endure forever. You know, this this very beautiful passage where it says in Revelation, um, when when it all finally falls apart, uh, that it says, you know, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God. Mm -hmm. And that that in that sense is still a hope for us today. There are still empires. They are still oppressing people. all over the world. And so we still have that hope that, you know, we may still also say how much longer. And the answer is still, well, one day the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God. Um, there's still work to be done Yeah. in that sense.
0: Hmm. Yeah. and, And, you know, if we, if we hear that message, I mean, what, you know, that, that message has never not been Um, relevant (laughs) you know and (laughs) and it's it's so relevant right now because we're just you know with COVID and everything and all the turmoil and all the social injustice like there's there's so much turmoil and to have this message of um, to to persevere not not in the not in the way that you know the left behind kind of persevere of just kind of like stick it out you know until everything's done but to persevere and like continue to live in the way that jesus has called you to live yes and and that i I love the way you said that it's not for nothing um which is you know i i think especially a lot of times in our american culture um people are people are dying for meaning Yes. um be, because the meaning the meaning of the american dream just is it's so shallow yeah and and you start thinking you know well we're all gonna die someday what's this all gonna be for you know yeah. and, and just that message of you know there's we're, we're all a part of you know what god has started and um there's a way to live that out and it's not for nothing i mean we, yeah. we all need to hear that
1: yeah and then the other thing that I, so you know, I spent the first half of the book doing what we talked about here, sort of like one by one, kind of going through the sort of the pillars of end times rapture theory and yeah, debunking that basically um, and reframing what I think Scripture really is saying and, not, and what it's not saying. But once you remove all of that, right? Again, it's man, that is a great story. <laughs> it is such a great story, right? Yeah. Um, but when you take that away from people. Um what is what are we left with, right? So if, if we're not waiting for Jesus to come back any day now mm-hmm. and, and fix everything and you know destroy our enemies and and establish his kingdom on earth and all of that, then what are we waiting for? right? Well, yeah, well, that, that's what I talk about in the book and I think this is the hope thing that I, that I, I'm actually more excited about this than, than about tearing down
2: right. Christmas nationalism yeah.
1: is because what I see, Um, and what got me excited about writing this book really was I, I I saw something now I realize now I'm not the first one to see this, but for me, when I saw it, I, I thought I discovered it. I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) look at this. Right. I was, I was looking at the Bible one day and I just saw this passage and I was like, it just hit me. And I'm like, wait a second. And then I, I thought about it and then I hold on. And then I, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I think this is, I think this is the message. That I, that I had missed. And I, you know, because no one ever told me this message. Yeah. And it's this idea that, well, I call it this in the book. I call it the slow motion, second coming of Christ.
2: Mm-hmm. Cause I'm,
1: it's not like I'm saying Christ is not coming into the world. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is how is Christ coming into the world? Yeah. And, and I, what I think I see in, in the scripture, what I see Jesus saying and I see Paul affirming and I see uh, the, the new Testament affirming is this idea, I say this, I say this in the book, there is more of Christ in the world right now than there was 2,000 years ago when Jesus was physically here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we think about that for a second, there is more of Christ on planet earth right now in 2021, recording yeah. this message, this podcast, than there was when Jesus walked the earth. What do I mean by that? Well, Christ is not in just located in one human being, in one body anymore. Yeah. In fact, this is what Jesus even is on about when he says in the gospel of John, when he tells the disciples, I'm going to go away, and they get all upset, and he says, no, 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 it's better for you if I go away, but see, we, 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 we don't believe that, right? Yeah, Everything you and yeah. I are talking about is we've, we've got this whole belief system in Christianity today that says it's going to be so much better when Jesus comes back, Yeah. which is contradicting what Jesus said. He goes, no, 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 it's better if I go, Why? Because if I go away, I will send this other, this comforter, this counselor, right? This is Acts chapter two, the spirit of God poured out on all flesh, everyone, young, old, men, women, you know, black, white, doesn't matter, everybody, the spirit of God is now poured out on all flesh. This is even what the new covenant is all about, right? The new covenant is that everyone, every human being on this planet now has a potentially a direct connection with God through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and so there's no other no other mediators anymore, right? So this is this idea of where, where Jesus says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Okay. Yeah. So again, he he by the way, he also says in that same passage, I love this, he says, If you love me, my father and I will love you, and we, the father and Jesus, we will make our home in you. So again, in our mindset, if we think where is jesus right now and we think he's up there in heaven some somewhere wherever that is we always point up but you know it's around the yeah. planet um but he's out there right and one day he's going to come here but he's not so he's not here but he's there yeah. and one day he's going to come here that's not at all what jesus says he says no 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 i'm i'm here right now i'm i'm resident within you i'm abiding in you and you are abiding in me Jesus says in Matthew, in this day, you will know that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I am in you, and you are in me. Like, no, 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 it's all right here. So the passage that I saw that kind of blew my mind that connected these dots for me was uh, Romans. There's There's a passage in Romans where Paul talks about how all creation is groaning, all of creation is groaning and yearning for something to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, if I just asked most Christians to fill in the blank, you know what I mean? If I said, hey, Paul says in, in, in the New Testament, he says that all of creation is groaning and yearning for this one thing to happen. And this one thing, when it finally happens, ah, oh, now it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. What, what do you think it is? They would say well, it's the second coming of Jesus. That, yeah, that's what you would assume, right? Yeah, because <laughs> that's the theology we were raised on. But yeah. that's not what he says. What Paul says is that all creation is groaning and yearning for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's mm. it's basically like, it's it's like all creation is groaning and yearning for us to wake up, yeah. and get it and realize, oh, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory,
2: mm.
1: Christ in you. The hope of glory, not Christ in the clouds riding some kind of you know cloud pony yeah. in the sky with a trumpet and a sword out of his mouth. That's not what we're waiting for. We're, what? What? And in fact, we're not waiting for anything. Creation, God is waiting for us to go. Oh yeah, it's Christ in me. I'm yeah. there's Christ in me. So actually, this is this idea too where um, it fits. All these things fit together. Where Jesus says, right when he talks about the kingdom of God, he says it's like this little pinch. Of yeast, which seems like it's so insignificant, it's nothing, right? Yeah. But if that little pinch of yeast goes into the dough, it eventually fills the entire lump of dough. So there's this inevitability of this thing that started really tiny, really small, this one little person of Jesus. And as Jesus said, unless the seed dies and falls to the ground and dies, then it will, you know, uh, sprout up as a seed and, and become this tree that covers the earth, right? And bear much, much fruit. So we are now. Fast forward 2,000 years. There's more of Christ in the world now than there was 2,000 years ago. This idea that Jesus presented is is ongoing. It's happening. It's inevitable. It's only going to grow. I know our perception sometimes is that it's two steps forward, one step back. But uh, in many ways, that is our experience. It's not quick. It is very slow. It is like that little bit of yeast. It seems to take forever. Um, But it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And the exciting thing, and then I'll finish because I know I'm talking a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the exciting thing um the exciting thing about this story about the coming of christ into the world is that it makes you and me players in the story we're not mm. we're not spectators we're not sitting back with our popcorn watching you know helicopters and monsters and things out of the bottomless pit and, okay yeah wow this is amazing no, no 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 we are players in the story we are in that story mm. it's very much like i use the metaphor It's very much like the Holy Spirit shows up to you and says, Ben, he hands you a lightsaber. And he says, do you want to overthrow the empire? Do you want to save the princess? We need you. Hmm. And that's, that's kind of the invitation. Every single one of us is necessary and important to bringing Christ into the world. And so you've been given a gift. You and I both have been given this indwelling presence of Christ, this incredible ability and power, if you will. Yeah. That if we awaken, if we recognize who we are as, as the sons and daughters of God, um, we realize, that, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing here. And we begin to do this. Now we are changing the world. Uh, yeah. We're being transformed and we are helping uh, into this ultimate transformation of the world again so that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. Mm. And that to me, actually, if we really grasp that, that's way more exciting than this whole left behind thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah it it reminds me of um I've been reading through um Donald Donald Miller's whole story brand um philosophy yeah and I'm <clears throat> just talking about how we all have that desire to play some you know heroic role yes and and it's like and that's always been there like in us yeah. like we we just innately desire it and it's and it's, um, you know, why, why would that be a part of our human journey? And then God, why would God then, why would God create us that way? And then completely dishonor that part of us by saying, you just got to watch.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. I, t- I totally agree with you. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I love Donald Miller. I love that whole story brand thing. It's, it's a marketing thing that, it, but basically it's just him understanding the, the idea of story, the mechanics of story yeah. and how it resonates so much with us. And that is exactly right. And 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 I feel like Darbyism and end times rapture theology has stolen that from us. It's taken mm-hmm. us out of this equation. And that's part, to me, one of the dangers of it is, um, I know so many Christians that are literally just waiting for Jesus to come back and fix it. Hurry up, yeah. Jesus, come back and yeah. fix it. I can't wait. Or, or I'm just waiting to die one way or the other, right? But it, what it does, it keeps us in a holding pattern. Yeah. And it prevents us from actually dynamically daily living out our calling our identity yeah. um, as very necessary and active participants um, in bringing the kingdom of Christ to the world and experiencing yeah. it ourselves. It's not just, I'm not doing it. I'm not like, look at me, bringing the kingdom. Like, no, I, I first have to be someone who's experiencing it and, yeah. and I'm being yeah. transformed by it. And as I'm being transformed by it, well, then I can't help but it spread it around, right? It just sort of uh, uh, it rubs off on everyone around me and that's the way it should be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know, and I, there there's so many different elements of of what what's going on with the church right now, just in decline and stuff. But yeah. you know, I I gotta think that this is at least a small part of that. Is that you know yeah. the church is not inviting people into and to play a part in it. Yeah. You know, they're they're it's, it's more just show up and watch the pastor do his thing and. Yeah. Right. And just hold on tight until things end and and um, and then, yeah. you know this is something i'm learning I'm learning as a parent because you know my my son want my son wants to be involved in things, yeah, and you know he wants to help me do things, and you know it'd probably be faster if I just did it myself, but that but that's not like <laughs> that's not my role as a parent, my role as a parent is to help him you know awaken to who he is be become yeah. confident and and what he brings to the table and and it'd it'd be awesome if if you know if the church
1: did that a little bit more. Yeah, Ben, I love that. That is a beautiful picture. You're exactly right. Um, you know, God as a heavenly Father certainly could do better job on His own without relying on you and me mm, and everybody else. Oh right? yeah. gosh, where it's got to be in some levels so frustrating and like ah, really come on. But um, yeah. but he he's not about getting it done quickly. Yeah, uh, he's committed to because it's not about just the end goal of mm-hmm. having this thing exist or happen. Yeah. Um, it's not worth it. If we're not, if we don't get to like, cause we're going to be changed in the process. We're going to be, there's so much we need to, we need to get out of it. Like this, this exists, this end goal and this process exists because there's something we're going to get out of it. The same with your son, right? Mm-hmm. It, you, you would do those things again, not because like you're going to work on your car. Right yeah. now, I don't know. How old is your son? He's 13. Okay. So yeah, you could probably, I thought he was younger. So that, that's good. He's 13. He'd probably <laughs> do better than if like he was five or six, but you know what I mean? You're going to work on your car. You know more probably than he does. You could, you could get it done much faster, but, but think about what he gets out of it. Right. Yeah. So at the end of this working on the car together, whatever project you're working on together by going slow and teaching him along the way, letting him figure out things on his own at the end of that process, it's better for him, right? Yeah. And by the way, yeah. you also got the car fixed, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that is kind of God's heart. You know, God is a much better father than you and I could ever be. Mm. And he's so concerned, I, I think, for us to get it and to bring us along. He wants yeah. the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. He wants us to wake up and understand and yeah. grow and mature and, uh, and understand the ways. Like He wants us to participate in this thing. Yeah. Um, that's our life. And so, yeah. yeah, I think you're exact, exactly right about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, Keith, this this whole uh, this conversation, this topic, it's it's so important just because the the, the stories that we tell ourselves matter, mm. and it and it you know it impacts you know the way that we live. It impacts what we think about ourselves and the people around us. And and um, you know it's it's such a it's such a better story to to, to say that we have a part of this to play it's such a better story that, you know, God actually loves us, that he's, he's not, you know, he's not the, you know, God of the sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know, he's, he loves us. He's never giving up on us. He's, he's a good father, like you were saying. And it's mm-hmm. such, a, it's a better story. And and I think it fits with how we've been created.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. I, I totally am so convinced of that. And I think the more we focus on that, the, really the, the how, how much more of this makes sense. You know, yeah. my, my book that's coming out in March, um, Jesus Unforsaken, which is about the atonement. And I, I spend a lot of time on that idea in that book, uh, as well about just this idea. Like you said, the stories we tell ourselves matter. And if we, if we tell ourselves a story and we believe a story that says we're filthy worms and sinners, God is too good and holy to be in our presence. Um, My sins are so awful that Jesus had to be tortured in this hideous, horrible way, just so I could be forgiven and loved. Um, Man, that creates a really different idea or or a very certain idea of me, of who I am and who God is. But man, if that's not the story, and I don't think that is the story, there's a better story, actually. And again, it's not one that Keith made up. It's actually (laughs) in the scriptures. I think the scriptures... Or better than we give them credit for um, if we will go and look at what they say. Because, I mean, this whole idea of like, I I hear this criticism a lot. Like, oh, Keith, you talk about love too much. You're always talking about love, the love of God. You you, you do that too much. I'm like, you understand? God is love. Mm -hmm. How can I talk about love too much if God is love? Always also a God of wrath. Well, can you show me a verse that says he is wrath? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because I don't see that. And actually, anyway, I don't want to get into my, my next book. We'll talk about that next time. <laughs> but, but it's like, if we could really wrap our, our brains around this idea that God is love, you and I were created in the image of God, who is love. Therefore, mm-hmm. we were created in the image of love. Yeah. Um, we are created to be loved. And again, going back to First John, uh, as, as he says in First John, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Yeah. That's so beautiful and so simple.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and i i just I, I prefer those those stories are so much better uh yeah. i think we should really focus on those much more and paul says also in galatians um he says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so love is a pretty important ingredient i mean he wrote a whole chapter on love in first corinthians right yeah so love is a big big deal and if you miss that um uh, yeah. man no one talked too much about love more than paul did <laughs> so yeah. so you know uh th- it's a good thing for us to focus on love and i think
0: yeah. we should yeah well on on um this podcast i'm you know I'm, I'm hoping to help people um you know find inspiration uh hear different stories maybe have different tools about how to live and experience wholeness in their life um just the the, the wholeness that comes from knowing who they are and knowing that they're loved um, and, and I think, you know, what we've talked about, just living in a, a better story is, is really important to that. What, um, what, what's been helping you lately experience wholeness?
1: Well, you know what? It's a, a really simple thing. Um, and, and actually, to be honest, just today, I, I kind of returned to this practice that I, I, for the longest time, I had this ongoing practice. Um, that has been such a life-giving thing for me. Um, and it really started when we were in our house church. But it's really just um, just sitting in God's presence. you can call it meditation or whatever. but all yeah. all I really do, my wife Wendy and I will usually just um, well, we did this with our house church when we would come together physically, but we're not, you know, we moved and we're, we're in a different state now. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wendy and I will sometimes just sit together and just sit in silence, just sit in his in the presence of God and and soak in. You know, again, I'm not inviting him to show up. I'm not like, oh, Holy Spirit, come. No, no, he's yeah. oh, he's never leaving me or forsake me. He's always here. I, I just need to realize it. So I put myself in a place where I just kind of like realize and remember and acknowledge. Oh, yeah, that's right. God is here, and He is love, and He does love me, and He's in, I'm in His presence constantly. And you know, I just kind of meditate and think on these things, on those kinds of things, and it just really sort of re-centers and recalibrates uh, my, my mind with the frequency of God, if you will, you know, Mm. I don't want to get too woo-woo here, but it, but it really (laughs) does help. And it just, um, I feel like I'm in more connection when I do that with, with God, uh, just on an ongoing basis. And that it helps me also remember who I am and who God is and all that Mm. my identity and and him. And like I said, I, I, it's been probably a couple of months and I've been too busy and we stopped doing it as regularly as we used to. And then just today i I told Wendy, I really need to do this. I, I realize I, I just feel I'm out of sync, mm-hmm. and we just spent like about an hour this morning uh, doing that. And man, oh, mm-hmm. it's like I need to do this like every day. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's been really helpful to me. Is just um, not a Bible study, um, nothing really like that. I think it's just more of finding things, finding ways to. Uh, just reconnect with God that way, in a just yeah. a real, in a very real way
2: yeah.
1: uh, for some people. And there's, you know, it's not just that it's not just the silence. I mean, yeah. uh, I think you can also find things like art or music or poetry for me and movies. I love movies, um, books. I mean, there's, there are other things you can do um, that make a real, help you really connect with God yeah. um, and find out what those things are and do more of those things. Um, being mindful of that, of fact that they are helping you connect more with God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we, we got to talk about kind of your, your books and your upcoming ones, um, earlier. So where, um, where can people find you and interact with you?
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Um, so I blog at, uh, on Patheos, uh, it's KeithGiles.com. And if you just go to KeithGiles.com, it'll take you to my, my blog posts mm-hmm. on Apatheos. Um, all my books are on Amazon, on um, Kindle, and print, and all of them are on audio. Um, the one we're talking about today, Unexpected, the audio version is coming out soon. Okay. Uh, that'll be on Audible. Um, and then my, like I said, my new book will be out in March. And um, yeah, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and I'll, even, believe it or not, even on Instagram.
0: So you
1: know, <laughs> just find me, in, it's my name, just Keith Owls. You'll find me there. Okay. And I'm happy to connect.
0: All right. And make sure to check out also the, the, uh, hilarious heretic happy hour podcast
1: yeah heretic happy hour podcast
0: yes there we go (laughs) all right well thanks so much keith
1: thanks ben god bless you too